161 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again today by Ryan Toth and Paul Noonan. And guys, how about our old friend uh, Maverick Phillips, World Series hero now? That was the greatest moment in World Series history. <laughs> right up there, right up there with the Fisk home run. Like just the uh, the airplane thing was the most Brett Phillips thing imaginable. So dorky, so endearing, and so wonderful. Can't even put into words how great that was. It was fantastic. Uh, the the whole play was had just eight different aspects of amazing to it. Into the shift, uh, the the running and throwing was all crazy. It was it was super fun. Love that play. And Kenley not backing up. Kenley not backing yeah. up. Also good. Oh, Kenley. Yeah, that's yeah. and and then after the game saying, well, I didn't give up any hard contact. I don't know what else I could have done. And like uh, a million people online screaming, uh, you could have backed up the <laughs> whole plate. <laughs> you should join the Republican Wisconsin legislature for that comment. I don't know what else I could have done. You know, uh, this is a problem that I think a lot of relief pitchers have where, you know, they're used to coming in and just striking people out and they're not being a ton of plays around them. And. I have seen more than one closer not man his position properly doing that. So not to cut him slack, but it's something you should work on if you're a professional baseball player and a pitcher who actually has to play defense once in a while. Yeah, I saw a side angle of it, and he actually, as soon as the ball got through, he did that, like, fall to the ground sort of thing where, like, he dropped, and then he got back up and was kind of, like, I don't think he knew quite where he was supposed to go. Like, maybe he was thinking he should have backed up third base originally. Like, that was maybe what he was thinking to begin with. And then he got kind of hung up in no man's land and like, didn't back anything up. He's just and standing whoops. there. <laughs> yep. Not great. Man. Not great. That entire play. If, if the Dodgers fail to win the world series again, it's just, they're cursed. They're never winning it. That play is proof that the Dodgers are never winning the world series. <laughs> like man to, to go up three, one, they would, would have felt great about themselves and then just a comedy of errors all over the place yep. it's just classic dodgers in the world series Nothing it was it was the baseball version of the uh the rice field goal that hit the post four times that, that's what that play was. <laughs> <laughs> which if you guys didn't if, if people have not seen the rice field goal that hit the goal post four times it it is it will oh, never okay. happen again as long as football is played so go watch that too the quadruple doink the quadruple yeah, doink that. was incredible yeah All right, uh, we've got a lot to get to, but first, we are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing again this week. You know they're great beers like Black Party and the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. One of my favorites is also back now, the Outer Space New England-style Imperial IPA. It's great. You should try that out while it's still out. The next time you're in Madison, stop by the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard. That's on the east side of Madison. You can also get a 20% discount on some Carbon 4 merch online just by listening to us on this podcast. Go to Carbon4.com. Use our promo code MKETailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. Also, New England IPAs are better than regular IPAs, generally speaking, and theirs is quite excellent. So, yes. uh, second on that one. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe sacrilege to say that after the ad read, but I kind of like the outer space better than the fantasy factory. (laughs) (laughs) If you like Uh, the copy ones, you know, that's that's fine. If that's your jam, that's fine. Um, I like New England-style IPAs um, in particular because they – like beer's supposed to be balanced. Like hops supposed to be balancing off a sweetness that is natural to beer. And New England ones tend to go for a more uh, less bitter flavor profile in their hops that they use there. That's what gives it the cloudiness a lot of the time. And uh, it, it's really kind of I think what beer is intended to be more than what the IPA has grown into. So Fantasy Factory is a good IPA, but if you like something less hoppy tasting, like this one is excellent. Nice save. That's yeah. good. <laughs> While we're on the topic, you can also support our podcast network at patreon.com slash tailgate For just $5 a month, our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. You get a preview of the Packers game every single week. Hopefully the, the Packers play a little bit better than they did last Sunday. Yeah, I would say I did give proper caution for Tampa, who I thought might be really good. One thing that surprised me about that game is Mike Evans should have dominated it, and he only got one catch for 10 Dude, yards. So. I don't know what they're doing with Mike Evans. I don't like, think he's healthy he's yet. Constantly. He might not be healthy. Here's the, like People think it's a Brady problem that he's not thrown down the field a lot. That's not true. Brady is ninth in air yards, which is the measure of how deep you throw the ball generally. And ninth may not seem like a lot, but it's statistically not that different from like the fifth or fourth guys. It, he's, it's like nine yards uh, of air yards at an attempt. He's high on the list. He's throwing downfield. Just Mike Evans is supposed to be a downfield guy, and he's just not seeing the ball. It's very strange. He's been dominating around the goal line. He has all these one-yard touchdowns, um, but he's mm-hmm. basically being used by, like a tight end. 
And uh, the Packers just totally shut him down, which I did not see coming without King in the game. So, yeah. so sorry about that one. If you played him in fantasy, I did too. <laughs> but uh, this game should be more fun. Houston is awful on defense, though the Packers are su- super beat up. And I, I, I think it'll be like a won't play, right? I think yeah. it'll be like a 45-45 game. The, if they lose the game, it'll be because they give Jamal Williams 17 carries in Aaron Jones' stead. <laughs> That's the sh- short version. Enjoy. Short version of the podcast. Uh, check it out, though. Over to baseball. So we had a little bit of World Series talk. And during the World Series, Rob Manfred usually does this little press tour previewing the, the offseason or kind of recapping everything that was going on. And I guess one of the major things he's said is he's kind of speculating at this point. It kind of depends on the negotiations with the players union. But a lot, if not all of the rule changes we saw this year during, you know, the shortened season due to COVID, uh, he says they're likely to return to the status quo unless, you know, the players agree otherwise. That would mean getting rid of those seven-inning doubleheaders, the extra-inning runner rule, and the universal DH. You know, our, our opinions on those kind of vary, but one thing he does say he wants to keep is the ex- some form of expanded playoffs. All of this is probably up to negotiation, right? They're working on a CBA, so these are a lot of carrots that they can dangle in front of the players, right, Paul? Well, yeah, and th- this is... So so annoying. I, I guess I won't speak for everybody. The expanded playoffs, in my mind, are the worst one. And I get why the owners want to keep it. That's money. This is all money. But it's it's such a weird tact. Like, the Universal DH, I kind of think they both secretly want. The players would like the extra um, position that it gets, you know, on every team. The owners want the offense, and they don't like pitchers getting hurt any more than anybody else does. So when they, when they say they might hold that one back, that's purely a negotiating tactic, and that I'm I'm annoyed by that. Like when you have something that everybody wants, just you should just do it. You shouldn't hold that up for <laughs> concessions, right? From the players' union and something else. But this is baseball, and they're sharks. Um, and you know, just got embarrassed in negotiations last round. So I kind of get it. But uh, the most likely one being the annoying one, I, I I just don't care for. Like I don't care about the DH that much. The seven inning doubleheader thing, fine, whatever. If it actually I kind of like doubleheaders, if it gets there to be more of them, I could see that being even a good thing. But uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm annoyed by the, the expanded playoffs being like the one that we're all like, okay, we'll keep that one. That one gives us more money. <laughs> right. Yeah, the seven-inning doubleheader thing always felt like a, an emergency thing for this season. Once they realized that to make up the games they were going to need to make up in the time they had allotted, they were going to have to do a bunch of doubleheaders. That one always seemed like an emergency measure. And yeah. I, I think the players appreciated it. And I think that that, that really did matter to them. But I can't see that being it. Maybe next year, if there is still concerns over having to do COVID delays and whatever it looks like during next season, I could see potentially that sticking around. But I don't see it sticking around past the pandemic. Yeah, I think that's the most likely one to go away completely. I, I will say I kind of like that one, but I agree with you. It's it's unlikely that one is a long term one. Um, yeah. The extra inning runner thing, it sounds like they kind of want it. And I think the players secretly like I think they do like it because it shortens the games and it it's going to bring things to a, a swifter conclusion than what they it would be otherwise. But it's such a funky, weird thing that I think that it just it doesn't sit. Well, I I think that one has been coming, though, that it's been rolled up in the minor leagues for a long time. Yep. Yeah. And I think that I mean, one is seven inning double headers too have been a minor. That's thing. that's true. But I think it was less of an issue because in MLB, they've they've generally tried to stay away from double headers as much as right. possible. They try not to have them. So I think that's less of a big thing. One thing that we should note, too, about the expanded playoffs is just talking about expanded playoffs doesn't mean necessarily 16. They true, may be true. looking to go to like a 12 yeah. as mm-hmm. a next step. And that's definitely anything that's, you know, less than 16 is better than 16, right? Like, so 14 is better. 12 is even better than that. I personally think it, you know, no issue with it staying at at 10. But I sort of always anticipated, I mean, before COVID happened, we were talking a lot about the idea that expansion was coming sometime in the relatively near future and that we were probably going to 32 teams. And that would have necessitated a pretty big reshuffle of how things were done. And at that point, I think 12 would have made a lot of sense and they would have figured out a way to, to do that, that I don't know, maybe four divisions where those teams go into the automatic regular playoffs. And then the remaining eight teams that, you know, like 
two wild cards or whatever, or yeah. four wild cards per league, like those teams would have then done a maybe a three game plan, something like that to to reach the the playoffs. Something like that would make sense, but I don't know. I mean, we're not going to see an expansion anytime in the in the near future. I don't think. And if they go less than 16, that's I agree with you completely. That's better. The one thing I'll say is I don't feel like being I don't like the feeling of being snookered or like I've been subjected to negotiating tactics and going big with 16 to make 12 more palatable still annoys me. So, yeah, it's better. But I really liked the way that it was like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a non expanded playoffs guy, generally speaking. But I like the. I know people complained about the wild card is like, oh, your season can be done in one game. But I like the reward for division winners, for people who yeah. play really well. I like the opportunity for teams that maybe are in a tough division. And I think it had a really nice balance of um, allowing opportunity for people to get in non-traditionally while still rewarding people who tr- got in the normal way of winning the division. So I really like that. I wish they would have kept it kind of a long time, and it's just not going to happen. So <laughs> that, that's sort of my ideal for a, a how a baseball playoff should work. Yeah, the big thing we want to get away from is where – Teams like the Dodgers are playing teams like the Brewers in a three-game to yeah. advance situation. I mean, that's doesn't really matter. Yep, that's that's what we need to get away from. So if Agreed. we if we get back to a situation where there is a real reward for winning the division, and that you'd still have to be a pretty decent team to make it at all, like you still have to win, I don't know, eighty-five, eighty-six games in a normal season, as opposed to finishing under 500 <laughs> like yeah what would the comparable have been for the brewers this year in a, in a regular season that's what 78 wins 79 something like that like yeah you don't want those teams getting into the playoffs it just it does cheapen the whole thing and having yep. basically an equal shot then as a team that won 105 like that's not that's not okay that's not because of the way baseball is that just doesn't work the other thing to echo your point before about the universal DH two, Paul, I think that that's exactly what's going on is that MLB realizes the union really wants this thing and they want it too, but they're going to hold it out as a bargaining chip to try to they get the players for it. Yeah. to give yeah. something up for it, even <laughs> though they want it. And yes, that is annoying. I think it's even more annoying for national league teams because like, what the hell is David Stern supposed to do to prepare for this off season? If he doesn't know that there's a DH, you know, that affects Maybe what you're going to do with Ryan Braun, Dan Vogelbach, or whatever. It has a huge impact. Yeah, and and the Brewers are far from the only National League team trying to figure this stuff out. Especially, I think, going into an offseason where finances are going to be limited across the board. So you're going to have to get creative. And you have to know whether or not you're going to have to pay that extra bat in the lineup. And if they keep stringing this out and throw it on the players to negotiate, it just is incredibly annoying i will say for a person like stearns though i think it is a competitive advantage because he's going to build a roster that's going to have more likely candidates for a dh than a lot of nl teams will just because he builds a deep roster with a bunch of different options and a bunch of different ways to go so regardless whether or not there is a dh or not and and when that decision gets made i think he will sort of plan for it in at least a half-assed sort of way. <laughs> like, he, he's not just going to leave himself totally exposed on that. I remember before this season, we were saying that they were especially well set up to have a DH come into play. And then the season happened, and um, <laughs> and, and no, nobody could hit in any capacity. So Well, and, you know, Ryan Braun got hurt, which is not a huge surprise. Nope. But, but, like, Logan Morrison and Justin Smoke were both awful. I would argue also not a surprise, but but Lorenzo Kane also then opted out, which opted then out, which yeah. created more field play. That's it's a true. cascading effect there. Yeah. Yep, there was a cascading effect. So it, I think that they will put together a squad that can at least be credible, whichever way MLB decides to go with that. So I, that doesn't super concern me, and they'll be better at it than some teams will. Some teams will still screw it up. So. They should get at least a little bit of a competitive advantage there. Yep. Hope so. I guess speaking of uh, off-season decisions, the first few are coming up uh, pretty quickly here. Teams have, I believe it's like a week, five or seven days after the end of the World Series to make their decision on player options. So very realistically could be coming up in the next week here. So the Brewers have a handful of names that they still have to deal with. You know, they had, they signed a ton of guys to those one year plus an option deals. A few of those, they, they cut loose during the season. So they don't have to worry about them, but still a few remaining. 
the big option that everybody knows about is the mutual option for Ryan Braun for $15 million, which I think we can all agree, right, that nobody's going to pick up and they're going to come back to the drawing board on that one, right? You would yes. think. Yep. <laughs> all right. So we'll just skip over that one. That leaves us with uh, Jed Jerko, Eric Sogard, and Ben Gamel had a team option on the deal that he signed uh, prior to this season, uh, but he is still ARB eligible if they do decline that. So I guess let's just go across the board. Jed Jerko, Ryan, yay or nay on picking up his $4.5 million option or taking the $1 million buyout. So it's basically a $3.5 million decision. I think that it's going to be our first big indicator of what they think their offseason spending is going to look like. If they pick this up, and I think they probably should, because I think Jerko is a useful player. You can play him at multiple spots. He he fits in at multiple places. And at the very worst, he's a good platoon bat that you can use to mash lefties. So I think that they pick that up. If they don't, it's an indication that we're in for an, an offseason of some pretty severe austerity. Yes. I mean, they should pick that up. I, I'm not a huge Jerko fan myself, but he is... He's certainly useful for four and a half million. I mean, three million in the you know the nets. It's hard to argue against that fact. That's not a lot of baseball money, austerity or not. And he is certainly worth that. You, you got to have some bats on this team too. Like you, but whether <laughs> whether they go full austerity or not, you, you actually need people to stand out on the field. And uh, he's a, he's an easy one to to go with here. He still has power. He can play multiple positions. He's fine. So that's that's cheap. And they should do that. If they don't, yeah, that's that's a bad sign. That is a bad portent of things to come. I, I guess the one thing I hate to back off on what I just said. The one thing <laughs> oh, I no, would say, yeah, I'm hedging a little <laughs> bit, is if they anticipate a completely crashed market and think that they're going to be able to get a better player than him at that price point, a player that has more utility to them, then I could see that also being a thing. I suppose, given their projections last season kind of blowing up in their face a little bit making that prediction could i mean this is kind of a bird in the hand cheap thing here and thinking that there's going to be a lot of drinkers out there for less than three mil maybe 4.5 if you want to go with the actual number that seems like you know you you could that could blow up in your face pretty easily so i could i could see them thinking that way sure they're risk takers they are going to be cheap no matter what but man it's, it just seems like a bad decision it's just not that much money you're talking about the offensive MVP this year, too, right? <laughs> well, no, it's not Vogelbach. <laughs> right. But, yeah, I think the big question, which you guys alluded to, is what can they get for, say, the $3.5 million net if they don't keep exactly. the go? The first base slash third base market is not super great this year in terms of available talent. I think you're right that there i mean there's going to be maybe a half a dozen other guys that could be available for three and a half million but then you're talking about half the league also offering those guys the same contract and then mm-hmm. it's a question of whether they come to Milwaukee or somewhere else it just doesn't seem for the money and for what he's you know four and a half million is not a bad deal at all for a guy who can mash lefties and kind of back up a couple of positions and, and be a good pinch hitting that, you know, assuming there's no DH, even if there is a DH, then, you know, there's one of your DH options, I suppose, too. I, I don't see them declining this option, but then again, I didn't see them going cheap with Eric Thames last year either. So who the hell knows, I yeah. guess is, is my question. Um, another player. So Eric Sogard also has that four and a half million dollar team option. It's kind of interesting to see, because I think we're going to fall the other way on this, and maybe part of it, too, is the buyout's a little bit lower, too. It's only a half-million-dollar buyout, so they can save about $500,000 declining that option over declining Jerko's. So I guess, uh, Paul, Eric Sogard, yay or nay? Uh, nay for me. Just He's not that good. Uh, he gives you the vaunted versatility, and I understand you know he's there because they were not sure how shortstop was going to go, especially after Urias hurt his wrist. Um, but... I, I think there's just better options available um, that are going to be around on the team. And so guards are a dime a dozen. Like uh, finding some actual bat production for them is really the tricky part this year, but they have tons of defensive versatility 
laying around um, that can put up Sogardian numbers without too much trouble. So I, I know you would think that finding a shortstop who can play multiple positions might be harder than finding a big, slow, dumb bat. But I, for them, I actually don't think that's the case. They could use more big, dumb, slow bats, and they got Sogards all over the damn place. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think that <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> Do you think maybe if Orlando Arcia didn't kind of show the improvement at the plate this year that he did, that this would be a trickier question? Or Arcia basically played his way into another year at least. You know, he wasn't fantastic, but he at least was not all-time bad and actually out-hit Eric Sogard this year, too. Yeah, he was a very solid hitter this year. I, I think people kind of missed on that, that he was really one of their better offensive players. He was. Which is kind of frightening. His defense still (laughs) slipped, but yeah, I mean, you're looking at a 263, 317, 416 line. That's a 96 OPS plus. So he's just slightly below league average, which at shortstop is actually slightly above league average. I know shortstop is a better position than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. There's still less there offensively than there are at other positions. So yeah, that's a, that's still pretty, a pretty decent year for a, a shortstop. The issue with RC is more just what the defense is. And I don't know. I don't know what they think of it. That's that's a bigger issue, actually, at this point for me, just because I don't know if they see Arcia as a big defensive improvement, which they probably don't. So probably not. But it's it's also not like Sogard is some defensive studded shortstop either. It's no. not like, you know, uh, if they actually wanted to. If they wanted to go out and find a no-hit all the back up there, I wouldn't be against that because they don't really have that player right now. And you can get those guys pretty cheap too. Um, so th- that might be more what they're looking for anyway. Um, Versatility is great, but it's also nice to be able to lock that position down a little bit more. So I, I would maybe look for them to do something along those lines. And not just not really another reason to move on from Sogard, who doesn't fill that bill either. Yeah, and part of me feels like Sogard was kind of just insurance in case they didn't have that backup versatile option come through and at the very least i think you know luis Urias, he kind of struggled offensively after the wrist injury but he at least proved he can pick it at multiple different positions too so i think you know he making the league minimum as opposed to paying eric sogard four and a half million dollars especially when the buyout's only half a million like you're saving four million there that's seems like a super easy decision to me we do have a patreon question about eric sogard so our first one comes from Brian Polakowski. He says, can we expect Sogard to leave Milwaukee and be productive again like the last time? So the last time he left Milwaukee, couldn't hit at all. Seemed to turn it around with the Rays and the Blue Jays a little bit. But, Paul, do you think the super bouncy ball had anything to do with that? <laughs> super bouncy ball had a ton to do with that. Uh, now, in fairness, Milwaukee also had the super bouncy ball um, last time he was around. Um, but it it's just one of those random things. And if, if there is no super bouncy ball, he is not going to be a good offensive player. That's just not going to happen. Um, it, it, completely impossible. So so maybe uh, maybe they bring it back and he gets lucky. But, you know, the Brewers would get the same bounce with some other guy that happens to be replacing him. So totally fine. There does seem to be some version of the super bouncy ball going on this postseason. Oh, really? I have, I have not been paying attention to ball metrics in the postseason. I really should have. There does seem to be something. It's not... It, there's there's a wider when we say the super bouncy ball there's a wide variation here where it, it goes through these wild swings up and down there have been times like during the 2000 and what 17 season when it was really at a peak uh 19 it was really at a peak until the postseason and then all of a sudden it it all it, it wasn't flying like it was before so there are these various gradations in there, but yeah, he does seem to be a guy who to have a really solidly above average batting profile, he needs that power boost from yeah. the ball. Mm-hmm. Like that's otherwise there's just not going to be much there and nobody's going to be afraid of him hitting a regular or lesser bouncy ball <laughs> out. So they're just going to yeah. pound the zone on him and that's going to make everything else collapse. Yep. Right. When his only other real added value is walks, you know, (laughs) there's no reason to pitch around him. Uh, You're not afraid of a a slap hitter like that. I guess our our last player with an option, Ben Gamble, two and a half million dollar team option. Uh, There's no buyout, but he is arbitration eligible. Uh, I feel like two and a half million or two. Sorry, it's two point five five million. Don't want to short that 50 grand (laughs) because the Brewers will be pinching pennies. Uh, But uh, so I guess. 
that seems to me like cheaper maybe than he might make an arbitration. But I guess, Ryan, what's your decision on Ben Gamble? Well, I did pick him as a guy that I thought maybe they wouldn't bring back and that you'd see Tyron Taylor take over in that role somewhat, though Tyron Taylor is obviously a right-handed batter and Gamble's left-handed, so it's not an exact one-for-one swap there. But I'll stick with that and say that they won't pick it up. I agree. I don't think they'll pick it up. It's And, yeah, arbitration might be more expensive just Ben Gamble's are a dime a dozen and I it, outfield depth is so much so 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 easy to get so uh, they're not going to spend anything more on that than they have to yeah especially for a guy who's like just okay defensively I think yeah. in my opinion you know he, yeah he can play all three spots but he's not really particularly great at any of them the he's arm not, not great cool, cool hair only gets you so far when the economy is not in good shape <laughs> Uh, very true. Very, very true. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We might get answers on what they're going to do with all of those uh, questions. And, you know, Ryan Braun, especially, we've covered that to death. I think we all kind of expect them to kind of decline that option and kind of just wait out the market a little bit and see where things land. And I think uh, I support Ryan's prediction from a few weeks ago or he might pull like the Brett Favre thing and try to skip half of spring training and be like, okay, yeah, I think I'll play again this year. I think that's probably where we're going to go. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, we do have a lot of other Patreon questions to get to though. Our next one is actually about Devin Williams, the newly crowned NL reliever of the year. So that makes it three years in a row for the Brewers bringing home that re- award. And I think it's the fourth year in a row they've had a nomination. I think Corey Knable was nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that before- makes sense before Josh Hader won his back-to-back. So quite a string of uh, Milwaukee Brewers being up for this uh, prestigious, I don't know if it's prestigious, but this award. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I I mean, look at who uh, Devin Williams was up against this year, and I don't know if that's more of an indication of how slam dunk he was as the choice, but, I mean, the other two were Trevor Rosenthal of San Diego and old friend Jeremy Jeffress, who was good but not like outstanding in the Cubs bullpen so anyway James Vandenberg asked now that Devin Williams has officially won NL reliever of the year who is next in line to break out in 2021 and win the club's fourth straight award uh Justin Topa Drew Rasmussen Williams again I guess Ryan what's your pick is there a breakout candidate here yeah if we're gonna take somebody I'm gonna take Rasmussen because there's pedigree there he has legitimate big time stuff obviously and has looked dominant at times. Topa has as well, but there's less of a pedigree there. So just stick with the, the slightly safer pick there and go with Rasmussen. I would not be at all surprised to see him be used in a multi-inning relief role next year in high leverage if he's getting the job done. Yep, I, I would agree with all of that. Um, I, I like Rasmussen as the like breakout, breakout guy. I, I do think Williams is probably their odds-on favorites to get that award again. However... Um, I, I wouldn't discount Hater um, just because if they play a full season again, um, this award may lapse back into save leaders, and Hater is likely to be used in the save um, capacity if he's still on the team. Um, and if he does that and has sort of his own kind of bounce back season, he could be among the league leaders in saves and you know jump up that um, that voting nomination block again. So. Um, honestly, he's probably your best bet just because he will inherit the closer role next season with Williams being the sort of, you know, former hater, the, the mop up or the setup guy slash fireman. So, um, I would put money on hater if I were betting on this happening again. Oh yeah. Funny you mention not being on the team because James has another Patreon question here. Uh, asking, is a Josh Hader trade more or less likely this offseason <laughs> compared to a hypothetical non-COVID 2021 offseason? I guess, Paul, what's your take on that? Um, I, I, so the short answer is every every moment we move forward in time, a hater trade becomes more likely. Uh, <laughs> and it, I mean, it, we've, I think every part of the reason for that is he's still good. Like he had a, a good season. He had, his ERA plus was 122. He still struck out a ton of guys. But I feel like we see more and more holes in his game. Um, and he still has the reputation as a dominant guy. Um, so uh, if they... It, it, they're always looking to trade people and they're they'll, I think trade relievers um, if they get any kind of good package at all, given that they will be penny pinching a bit and do need to rebuild the system a little bit. I do think it's probably a little more likely than it has been in the past. Yes. Um, it is dependent on getting the right return though. Um, and 
the one other thing you can say about Hader is, you know, the more we see some holes in this game, the more other teams see holes in this game too. I suspect league-wide, there's some understanding that you're not going to get, you know, super dominant Hader of a couple of years ago. You'll get pretty good Hader going forward that has some holes. So I would say more likely a little bit, but I, I, if I was betting on this, I would actually bet he's still around um, to start next season. So he's asking about a non covid hypothetical season right so is it more or less likely so did basically does covid existing make it Uh, make it more or less likely i have a definite answer on this all right yeah so i think it's more of a financial question right that's actually one angle to think of it is you could say okay they're much less likely to want to pay because that arbitration number is going to be what that arbitration number was regardless so I think that that does make it more likely that they trade him with COVID existing. And I think there's another factor here, too. If and we, I've talked about this before, if they are limited in what they are going to do budget wise, one of the most effective things they can do to try to get good players is to trade from a surplus. And that would be what this would be. Josh That's Hader, true. you'd be trading Josh Hader to get a young cost controlled position player who could potentially be a, a a lineup stalwart for them going forward that's what i'm assuming they would be looking for though they would i i guess they would they would look for the best value they could get regardless yep. because that's what they will always do, do because that's smart but i think that that's part of it is they would be looking for improving the team that way without having to spend on it so i think both of those things make it more likely that he gets traded but I, I do, I think, basically agree with you, Paul, that I still think it's probably more likely than not that he's back on the team next year. Like, if I had to say, you know, is Josh Hader a member of the Brewers on opening day? Yes or no. I still think the answer to that is more likely yes than no. But it is getting more and more likely all the time. Yeah. Does that change if you change the date from opening day to, say, August 1st, 2021? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it changes, <laughs> but I, again, it all depends on what they're doing competitive-wise, yeah. right? Like, where yeah, are they in the really playoff does. standings? So, yeah. I'm still going to call at some point Josh Hader for Clint Frazier. I think it just makes too much sense. <laughs> just from a hair standpoint alone. Like, you're, yes, you're training yeah. like for like there. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. Uh, we'll definitely see how that plays out. But uh, another financial question, I suppose... Uh, comes from Adam Post on Patreon. He says, how will Mark A. selling a majority stake in his investment company affect his ownership role with the Brewers? Is he more likely to sell the team, more likely to focus on earning a profit with the Brewers or other possibilities? I guess, Paul, my default is to go to you That's on all fine. of these business so, questions. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know the ins and outs of his business that much, but the, the, the answer is probably that it has very little impact because so he is an investment guy selling a, a chunk of his investment company. You do that for a couple of reasons. One, you just need, uh, you foresee something in the market where you want additional cash on hand, probably for a do- an, another investment, maybe to weather market projections, maybe something like that. But um, it's very independent from his baseball business. And it is simply a matter of dealing with risk on that side and potentially having something else to throw money into. That's probably not the brewers, by the way. <laughs> um, so, uh, it probably will not have any impact on him trying to make more of a profit with the Brewers, but they're always trying to make as much profit as possible. This won't impact that at all. Um, if you have in the back of your head a thought that this may free up some liquidity to pay extra players, almost certainly not. Um, get that out of your head. That is that is likely not the case. Um, th- this is this is being done strictly on his other business side. That money will end up in some other business venture on his other side be it with some other company that he founds some other investment something like that but yeah but don't see this as as freeing up money for the team or impacting baseball at all it does not have any impact on the brewers not a zero and again because mark atanasio does not own all of the brewers he only owns a portion of it and it's (laughs) last we heard we were talking with andy chef about this right and he he was saying it was somewhere in the 30s it's in the 30s he owns a plurality of the team he does not own a majority of the team yeah. Also important to remember when you're talking about, you know, revenues and all that kind of stuff, too. Yep. He is he, he has most of the share, but he doesn't have a majority of the share. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it's not even his 
call necessarily how much. No, other people in the Brewers organization can gang up on him if they want to outvote him without with relative ease. So yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Just keep that in mind as we go forward and they don't spend anything on free agency this year. It's not all his fault. <laughs> Everybody's cheap, not just him. Rich people hate paying people money. Uh, another Patreon question here from PJ Wessels. We kind of talked about it already, but he says, so Brett Phillips get his, gets his playoff moment like Moose two seasons ago, but how good is Randy Arozarena? Like, I, I brought this up last week. I can't believe the Cardinals gave him away, but I'm happy he's no longer <laughs> with the Cardinals. Thank you, Cardinals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A Rosarena, there does seem to be, I've been listening to a lot of uh, beginning of the offseason fantasy podcasts where people are sort of looking at things. And I think right now, a Rosarena, obviously watching him just dominate against good pitching in big moments kind of throws everything off a little bit. I would expect that he's going to be overdrafted in fantasy leagues next year, almost by definition. And he probably is not going to continue to be a well what Barry Bonds like he's he literally is like he's that's what he's doing right now Barry Bonds with the five tool ability right yep yeah well I don't know if we can count base running among his five tools anymore but uh, that was so great that that fall it was so Ryan Braun it was it was a total stumble trying to like keep the balance and every step just got progressively worse and yeah it and the army crawled a home plate that was that was fantastic I think (laughs) <laughs> that's like the, the the lasting image of this postseason now and yeah indeed so yeah good. yeah so good but very happy for brett phillips you know he's bounced around a couple of places now after milwaukee you know he seems to kind of found a home in tampa as ryan said years ago very raised kind of player uh he's he's from the tampa area too i believe so one of those rare grew up actually like following the team. Now that we're all getting old, we have major league players who grew up watching the Rays. Uh, that ain't right. Uh, yeah, no. It, I had the same realization <laughs> when uh, when the Brewers traded Lou Brinson to Miami. He's like, I grew up watching the Marlins. I love the Marlins. Like, oh, man. Really? Wow. I'm so old. Yeah. Juan Pierre was his favorite player. That's why he wears number nine for the Marlins. Uh, wow. So we're all very old. <laughs> Uh, another uh, Patreon question from our old buddy, Jay Google. He says, gentlemen, with the news of the Fleet Farm agreeing to a marketing deal with the Brewers, the biggest question that remains is, are you a Fleet Farm guy or are you a Farm and Fleet guy? And I know this like divides houses in Wisconsin. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, Fleet Farm or Farm and Fleet? So, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure. I was going to say, you're more suburban Milwaukee, Look, yeah, so maybe you don't have a take in this. Well, whatever whatever the one was, and I don't even know, whatever the one was that was in Platteville, uh, I did not particularly <laughs> like it. The one that was there in the uh, early 2000s when I was in school there. So whatever that one was, I didn't like it. And I only went in there maybe once or twice in the whole time I was at school there. So I, I really don't know. Paul. I, I have been in one of the two of them one time. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> they seem like just normal type um, multi-use stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't get the, what people enjoy or fight about on them at all. So um, I will say that uh, w- one of the best uh, songs that's not The Bears Still Suck by the Happy Schnapps Combo is about Fleet Farm specifically and not Farm and Fleet. So I'll go with that. Uh, I'll defer to their expertise. Mm. See, I actually grew up on a farm, so I have an actual answer here. All right. And, and it's Farm and Fleet by far. Sorry, Fleet Farm. No, you you can't compete with Toyland, which for some reason starts <laughs> in the middle of October. And where can you get your Christmas shopping done uh, and buy new tires for your car and get milk replacer for your cows? No place on earth like that. So it, it is the perfect store for the uh, Western Wisconsin middle of nowhere <laughs> folk. Uh, so that's that's my take on that. Farm and Fleet all the time. Uh, Jay Google also adds in, also, Trevor Bauer would look good in some Fleet Farm gear. And no, he I wouldn't. Think we, yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, <laughs> I assume that they have a lot of camo there, and that seems very, that seems very, very uh, Trevor Bauer. So do they have like, drones? That's, I was going to say, <laughs> do they do drone repair? Uh, yeah. It, Oh, oh, I'm Trevor not. Bauer. I'm not googling that during the podcast. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's not imperative information at all. No, 
All right. So we have a few more questions. I know last week our season in review kind of went really long. So we had a lot of Twitter questions <laughs> that we didn't get to. Uh, so we'll, we'll bring up some of those now just to make sure that y'all get your questions answered. So we've got for Supper Club All-Stars, which is a fantastic Twitter name. He's asking, are we feeling like the offensive woes were just a 2020 thing or is there a cause for concern moving forward? Paul? There's a cause for concern moving forward. Um, while it's unlikely to have this like full storm of everybody being bad simultaneously repeat itself, there's enough like real causes for a lot of these problems that, yeah, you should be concerned about them. Like um, we've mentioned a few times on Castanera, like Pakoda predicted that he would be kind of bad in this way <laughs> um, of striking out too much. And, and he was, and um, I, I gave my kind of Yelich two cents last week. Um, just to keep paying attention to how he fares against right-handed pitching. Uh, I do think he may have a slight mental block. He's got to get over it. I think the off season will help with that, but, I mean, they got to get him right to have any chance of contending again. Uh, Ryan Braun might not be on the team and is an old man who gets hurt all the time. And Jed Jericho doesn't make a lot of contact, isn't a consistent force of offense. That There's a ton of reason to be concerned about offensive performance next year. Um, they, they do not have a good base of reliable offensive production to build from. Now, they might get it. Like, you might get here a... You might get good Keston back. Um, you might get good Yelich back. That's a good foundation. You can work with that. But, uh, yeah, you should not just walk into next season assuming everything's going to be right because it's a normal season. That, uh, that Don't be that cocky. That's not the case. Yeah, their pitching baseline is a lot higher right now than their hitting baseline. Mm -hmm. For the first time in, like, my lifetime, it feels like. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, like, in the early <laughs> in 90s. franchise history, honestly. Like, well, the pitching's never good. <laughs> 90, 92, I think, if you look at that team, 92, they were a better pitching uh, team than they were an offensive team if I remember correctly I think that, okay. that they but it's been very seldom where the the pitching has been ahead of the, the hitting and I think it's unquestionably that right now they have many more good young cost-controlled pitchers locked in for the foreseeable future compared to the hitting side and that's just a fact so yeah it's a cause for concern it's also something that I think they have showed an agility of fixing where they they have been able to go out and find guys to fill roles and play quite uh, adroitly i guess wow i don't know where that word came from but they've, <laughs> they've done a, adroitly, yeah. yeah yeah they've done a good job of it so i think that i'm not super worried about it the question is going to be the resources and how they end up figuring this out but you can bet that they're going to make a bunch of moves this offseason to bring in new potential guys and we will probably see them at least somewhat try to recreate some of the things that they did in the past where you you had breakouts from the jesus aguilars of the world or the eric thames people that were a little bit off the radar and they're hoping to get something out of them we're probably going to see at least some of some reliance on that in some yep. fashion a bunch yeah. of new smokes bring them on yeah, I was going to say, like, it. I can see where people are a little worried and where, like, questions like this come from because as much as, like Paul says, you can't just hope and pray your way to guys bouncing back to where they were. I mean, that's a large part of where their improvement would come from, uh, you know, whether it's a full season of Lorenzo Cain, but also keep in mind he's a year older. Not playing this year doesn't change the fact that he's older and probably slower. You know, if, if Keston Hira doesn't figure out his top of the strike zone problems and, and all of that stuff, it, it gets to be a little shaky. And, you know, the, the finances of the Brewers being what they are, they are going to have to just hope and pray to find that Jesus Aguilar or whatever. And we saw this year that that strategy is, is pretty hit or miss. So it, I can definitely see where the concern is coming from. And especially when we're heading into a winter of discontent so to speak or like on 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 um unpredictability i guess it, it definitely does lead to a lot of questions and you know maybe we do have to tough out another year of really low scoring games and hoping that you know one crappy bat can come up with the one hit that they're gonna have for two weeks so i don't know uh, another kind of question along the same vein alex broadkey on twitter asks uh, what's the outlook for next year, given Stearns hinted at an even further reduced payroll uh, that came out the other week during his um, at a year press conference. He's kind of hinted at the unpredictability, but also gave some indications that, you know, money might be a little tight. 
Alex is asking, is it possible this team could be even worse next year, Ryan? Oh, yeah, it's definitely possible. So (laughs) that would be at 29 and 31. So you're talking about, yeah, like a 77 win team, something along those lines. Or like a 90 loss team, even if things go real, real bad. Yeah, I mean, that would be, yeah, so like a 72 win team. That's all. Yeah, it's definitely within do, the realm do of possibility. Ever get hurt? Does that happen sometimes? Nah, never. Never has happened in the history of the Brewers, no. Yeah, it's all that's definitely a possibility. I don't know how necessarily likely it is. They it's all going to sort of depend on what they're able to to accomplish this offseason and what that market looks like. I think if you do have a true crash in the player market, they that's going to play to their advantage. And that's kind of a sucky thing to say because that puts us in the position of even if we don't necessarily want to root for it from a a personal standpoint or a ethical standpoint, from a brewer standpoint, it undoubtedly would help. Yep. So they sort of puts you at cross purposes with yourself and that's not great. And so I don't know. It we will just have to wait and see. But yeah, it's definitely possible that they could be taking a step back depending on just how tight the, the payroll is going to be and what they're able to do with the the shuffling of the cards that they do uh, accomplish. Yeah, just to add to that a little bit, if you have a solid offensive base, it does tend to be more predictable year to year. You kind of know what you're going to get. And so they have some weird things with, you know, uh, Yelich falling off a cliff is a weird thing. You wouldn't expect that to repeat itself. But generally speaking, you can project your offense pretty well. Pitching is harder to just because pitchers are so much more prone to have injuries. And if you, you know, if you have a a significant injury to Woodruff, that that's a significant thing on your team. If Devin Williams happened to go down, he he was so important in the short season to actually making them make the playoffs. Those are hard to replace. That's more volatile because pitching is just a dangerous act. And it's entirely possible that they could be worse for that very reason. Now mm-hmm. they might be better too. There's a lot of thing. There's a lot of things to fix here that aren't that hard to fix. But uh, yeah, it, it's not off the table that they, they could have a worse season, and we shouldn't assume they're going to bounce back based on things like regression. That's uh, it's not necessarily going to work in their favor here. Yeah, and especially too, they had a better than average season in terms of pitcher health this year. Like they, they really almost nobody got significantly hurt. Even Brett Anderson was pretty healthy. Yeah. He made what nine, ten starts? Yeah, like, he missed a start here or there, but makes you, know, you makes you nervous a little bit. Right. And even outside of pitcher health, just pitcher performance is so variable too. I mean, does you know, I you know, I love Corbin Burns, but does anybody here think that like they want to bank on him being a number two starter. Oh, I'm sure he's fine now after after our, you know, whatever tiny little season. He's probably a stud 100%. Yeah. Right. Not, like we still haven't seen him do that for more than two months at a time. We so, have not. Uh, it, it, who knows how that ends up, too. And if Corbin Burns is not a number two starter, then suddenly we feel a lot worse about the pitching rotation as a whole. So it, depending on how this offseason goes, I could see like a wide swing in variability in terms of what this team does. Like anywhere between 75 and 85 wins seems like within the realm of plausibility, right? Uh, and, and that's a drastically different outlook on the season, you know, depending yep. on what happens. So. Well, I could see them going significantly higher than 85 wins too, just because sure. if you get Yelich back to sort of MVP-ish levels that we saw in 2018 and 2019 – and Keston Hira figures out how to be more like the guy he was as a rookie as opposed to his sophomore slump year, then you're starting with a very good place offensively. If that does happen and you're able to add a few important pieces around it, maybe you get a bounce back from Narvaez or Garcia, and things can look better in a hurry on that side because there is talent there, it, but it's just a question of how much do you want to rely on that and how much do you want to try to hedge your bets and, and create more of a depth offense as opposed to a an offense that's built around a couple of stars, which is what this year was supposed to be, and it really didn't work out because those guys didn't perform at star levels. Are, are we sure Omar Narvaez is going to be on the team next year? No, but I think there's a pretty decent chance of it. I think that his defensive improvement gives them a feel that, like, there's a place to go forward with him, right? The fact that they were able to improve his defense by so much, 
And that offense yeah. isn't going to scream for a big bump in I peril. I worry about the offensive profile, that's all. You know, like, launch angle is one thing, but when you're not hitting the ball hard when you have a high launch angle, you get lots of pop-ups to second base like we saw. So, yep. yeah, I don't know. That'll be another question to handle in the offseason. Uh, one last Twitter question from Jake Kokorowski, Badger News Extraordinaire on Twitter. Uh, he's asking, a decade from now, how will we remember this 2020 season? COVID. I yeah, it's going to be COVID, and I think kind of forgettable. Like, they didn't do too much. There's not going to be any stats that jump out other than weird small sample size stats. Um, remember Devin Williams' breakout probably, but I think everybody's just going to want to forget this, and I'll, I'm guessing that all of the playoffs and World Series kind of get discounted in people's minds too. Like, that'll be, oh, they won the COVID World Series uh, more than anything else. So, uh, I, I think we'll move on from this one and kind of forget this whole year ever happened. Sorry, Tampa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would be a very Tampa World Series to win for that reason. Actually. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was going to say, it's, I don't know if you want to call it like a fluke year or just like weird in one word. You know, everybody's going to remember it as the weird year. But I think I agree with Paul that I don't know about specifics. We'll remember other than just it was weird. Yeah. If we had some like great, crazy offensive breakout like that lasted for, you know, this many games, we might look back on it as, hey, remember the, the short season where everybody went nuts? Yeah, but they weren't really uh, the pitching was good, but there weren't really those things to remember about it. It's all kind of bad. So <laughs> let's just right. sweep this one under the rug. Yeah, no, we'll close the book on it soon enough and, and hopefully look ahead to a better 2021. Yeah, uh, for a lot of reasons. But, so, yeah, thanks for all the questions this week. Uh, really helpful considering we don't have a whole lot of brewers news to talk about. So thank you very much for the questions. Reminder, if you do sign up to become a patron, you get question priority. And we do have a new patron to talk about this week, don't we, Ryan? Yeah, Jeremy Mullen, thank you for joining up. I know I'm pretty sure we've answered questions from you before. Thank you for, for joining in the fold here, and uh, we definitely really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much, Jeremy. And a uh, reminder, if you do want to become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash tailgate. Five bucks a month gets you that question priority both here on this podcast and now on reporting as eligible too, correct, Paul? That is correct. There will be a question priority post every week going forward. So keep an eye out for that. I'll try and post it after every game. But uh, if you want your question 100% answered, put it there. There we go. Uh, you also get the Minor League Extra podcast and the reporting as eligible weekly previews, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Otherwise, if you have something else you want us to talk about, we do put out the call for questions every week on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at MKE Tailgate. You can reply to that tweet as well with your question, or you can follow each of us individually and send us questions that way. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue, and I'm at James L. That's James with a Y. So feel free to send your questions there. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you do listen to your podcast. Please hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, please leave us a kind review to help other people find the podcast. And thank you to those of you last week who did step up and do that. We really appreciate it. We got three new reviews. So awesome. Yeah. Oh, and that, that is great. people said nice things. So I appreciate that. It'll, it'll help slide the uh, the negative reviews when we were nothing but CBA talks for six months. Yeah. Yes, indeed. A little bit. Uh, so thank you to those who did leave a review. Uh, if you haven't already, please do hit up that, you know, podcast app on your phone and, and leave us a nice review and let us know what we can do better, too. In the meantime, thank you for all, all of you for listening this week. Uh, stay well, and we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Hill.